This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Biyaj, and here's what's coming up. The only way where renewal is going to happen is for these very members of the ANC to realize that as long as they don't change, the rest of the South African nation would not respect them. The choice is very clear, change or die. That's former South African President Galema Mutlante on the need for the ruling ANC to change as its popularity continues to fade. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Well, leaders who have been meeting in New York since last week are wrapping up the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly. VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir tells me world leaders focus on a number of themes. Predominant among them are the war in Ukraine, climate change, and global food insecurity. Thing in the spotlight this year is Russia's war in Ukraine, and that uh, got a lot of the headlines and a lot of the attention. Um, lots of concern this week because President Putin, in the middle of of the week, uh, announced he was mobilizing 300,000 more Russians to go fight in Ukraine. He uh, alluded to the fact that he's willing to use nu- nuclear weapons in the conflict, and um, so he he raised a lot of concerns here. So I think that was one of the main uh, highlights in a way because everybody's very worried about it. But then I would say that there were also a lot of things that were going on that maybe didn't steal the headlines and things that are good for Africa. And I would uh, point to the meeting they had on Thursday on the Sahel. Secretary General convened that with leaders from the region. And uh, he advocated for uh, the international community rethinking its approach, finding bold new solutions to the situation, and just going really beyond existing efforts to try and uh, contain the problem there. Because he said it's going to be a global threat if nothing is done about the effects of of, um, terrorism and extremism in the Sahel. And also we heard a lot on climate change, on uh, Security Council reform. And uh, one of the good things that was done that will have repercussions in Africa is that more than $14 billion was raised for tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV. And uh, the United States gave uh, almost $3 billion to uh, help alleviate the global food crisis. And another item which may have gone under the radar is there's this oil tanker in Yemen, and it's been the subject of uh, disagreements between the Houthi rebels there and the exiled government of Yemen. And uh, this week, a goal of $75 million was reached to extract a million barrels of oil that's sitting on this creaky old tanker. It's like 40 years old, and it could leak into the Red Sea. And if it did, it would cause an environmental catastrophe. The U.N. says would cost $20 billion to clean up. I see. And like you mentioned, climate change um, was high on the agenda, food relief, especially for Africans, and which is also in, in many ways linked to the war in Ukraine. And many African leaders who spoke throughout the whole of last week and held meetings on the sidelines of the main event. Uh, if you were to point out uh, one overriding issue on the African agenda, if you wish, uh, something that kept coming up as African leaders spoke and met. Well, I think it really is this concept of the food, fuel, and financial crisis. It started during the COVID-19 pandemic. Countries 
including in Africa, are trying to recover from it. And then, bang, comes the war in Ukraine. And since Ukraine and Russia are huge food and uh, fertilizer suppliers to the global market, this has really crippled a lot of countries economically and in getting um, certain food items. And so this definitely, we heard this from everybody. And and, uh, yes. And finally, uh, Margaret, what are the prospects of getting some action done to address uh, some of those issues, especially uh, climate change, uh, uh, pollution and and other issues that predominantly featured um, as African leaders spoke at the event? Well, in a few weeks, in early November, leaders will meet in Egypt for what's called COP27. That's the Climate Review Conference. And they're going to review the Paris Climate Agreement. And are we, how close are we to reaching the targets set out in that agreement? We're not close, actually. You know, things are warming faster than they should be. Uh, The alarm bells are ringing. So I think uh, we'll hear a lot more about climate change in a few weeks when leaders meet in Egypt. That was VOA reporter Margaret Bashir. She spoke with me from New York a short time ago. In South Africa, the ruling African National Congress's already rocky path to winning the 2024 elections just got a whole lot tougher. This weekend saw the launch of a new party led by formidable figures on the national political landscape. Built One South Africa, or BOSA, aims to end the ANC's almost 30 years leading Africa's second largest and most industrialized economy. Darren Taylor reports. If South Africans voted right now, say the latest polls, the ANC would fall below 50% for the first time in a general election since Nelson Mandela became the nation's first democratic president in 1994. Pollsters say citizens no longer trust an ANC that's regularly mired in corruption scandals and perceived as incompetent. The party, however, insists it's achieved much. It gives monthly welfare grants to almost 20 million citizens. It runs the largest HIV program in the world, giving antiretroviral treatment to 5.5 million people every month. The ANCs provided electricity, water, housing, land and access to education and health to millions of black people who were denied these basics by the apartheid government. But services are crumbling. Long nationwide power and water cuts are common. South Africa also has some of the highest rates of violent crime globally. Johannesburg businesswoman Norbuntu Glazo-Webster is BOSA deputy leader. We're in a, a place in our country where many South Africans are in despair. And I got to a place where I realized that, quite honestly, there was no one coming to save us. It's clear that if we don't come in and do something, there'll be no country to actually speak of in the coming years. Even prominent ANC members like former President Khalema Motlante are running out of excuses for it. He says many in the ANC have become selfish. Motlante is frustrated that the party he once loved seems bent on relying on past glories. The ANC is what it is today. It exists as it is today. The only way where renewal is going to happen is for these very members of the ANC to realize that 
as long as they don't change, the rest of the South African nation would not respect them. The choice is very clear, change or die. The ANC says its affirmative action policies have resulted in a growing black middle class. But at the same time, South Africa's official unemployment rate is 35%, the highest in the world. Klaus Webster says Bosa wants the chance to create jobs. When we speak of jobs in every home, our approach really is to kind of reactivate township economies, make sure that there are working businesses, make sure that young people are entrepreneurial and have got an enabling environment and have got the skills and the resources to be able to build businesses, first of all, where they live. That's how you get an economy revived again. And that's how you Bosa blames the ANC's policy of cadre deployment for many of the country's problems. This policy rewards loyal members who win support for the ANC with top government positions, even when they're not qualified. Analysts say cadre deployment has destroyed the ANC from within because it's allowed criminals to infiltrate it. Klaasor Webster says Bosa will stop the rot by appointing high-quality managers across government. We want homegrown leadership. We want communities to be the one who nominate leaders in their own constituencies, in their own communities, and for them to say, this is a leader that is doing the work in my community. This is a leader that I want to see in parliament. Now that is something... Bosa says it's time for South Africans to take their country back. Down the years, many other new political formations have risen against the ANC to say exactly that, only to be crushed by the ruling party. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Adam Abaro, the president of the Gambia, says his administration has stepped up institutional reforms to better serve citizens. In an interview on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Barrow told VOS Peter Claudi his government is working to strengthen dem- democracy in the country. So it was important for us to make sure that we consolidate uh, the gains. Mm-hmm. And consolidating that, we wanted to make sure that we build a strong foundation mm-hmm. of democracy going forward. Uh, that means uh, we make sure that uh, everybody respect the rules and the laws of that country. And doing that also freedom of speech. Mm. Uh, within a short period, uh, we have almost 40-something radio stations uh, that have total freedom. And from, I think, from that 2016 up to now, no journalist is in jail. There have not been journalists that have been arrested within within my period, yeah. and also also we make sure also we have uh, uh, the judiciary that is that is independent yeah. uh, because basically the judiciary is very important as far as democracy is concerned. Uh, these are areas that we make sure that uh, we consolidate that. Because of that, uh, after the transition, we organize very good elections in twenty. 21. If you look at the turnout, it's record in modern democratic democracy in the world. 89.7 percent of the presidential came out to to to, to vote. 
level playing field. I think we have observers all over the world, including five former African presidents. We are on the ground. And the results were recognized and endorsed by the entire world institutions, the world bodies. So, but still, we need to improve. We will not relent, we will continue to make sure that we build strong institutions. Talking about democratization and institutional reform, Mr. President, some civil society groups have said that security brutality or human rights abuses by the security agencies appear to be high. I'm sure you've heard some of the complaints. How are you dealing with such uh, concerns? Well, if you look at this, our scorecard, I think what the civil society are talking about is, 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 not, uh, is not concrete. Yes, there is no evidence of that happening in the Gambia. No. There is no politician that is in jail. There is no civil society you know, personnel uh, in jail. And it, it, it was not like that before. You know, there is no arbitrary arrest. And also, and also the, the courts are also independent. When people are arrested, also if they go to court, it's the court that decides. You know, government have lost a lot of cases during our time. Mm. <laughs> I think that is very, very clear. And all uh, the players know about that. What they are enjoying today, they have never enjoyed even during the First Republic. But Mr. President, what about the issue? You know, formerly, a lot of the people of the Gambia expressed about excesses by the police and security agencies, where they brutalize people and all that. That was one of the reasons why you said um, you have instituted institutional reforms. How do, or what assurances do you give the people that after these institutional reforms, the excesses that the people of the Gambia complained about, for which reason they voted for you, will be a thing of the past? It is already in the past. Since I came to power, the police have never used this in that country. Not possible. We follow rules and regulations, and there are ways, there are, there are rules that guide all these things. You know, when it comes to policing and all sort of, I think Gambia is doing that. That was President Adama Barrow of the Gambia. He sat down to talk with VOA's Peter Claudie in New York. For all of VOA's interviews at the UN General Assembly, check out voaafrica.com. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA, VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Botswana farmers have appealed to the government to scrap plans to cull more than 10,000 cattle affected by foot and mouth disease, urging authorities to seal off the affected zone instead. From Gaborom, Botswana, reporter Kondisi Dube has the details. Farmers say the government's move to slaughter affected livestock, including cattle, goats and sheep, will impoverish them. There are 19,000 affected cattle by the disease in the northeast of the country near the Zimbabwe border. Botswana National Beef Producers Union executive member Andrew Seletso says farmers are justified to push back against the decision to kill affected animals. Farmers um, have got the right to be unhappy with whatever decision. Uh, is taken by government. Um, it is a very difficult uh, uh, 
situation that we are facing. I don't think any decision will be deemed correct. So farmers are, are, are rightfully unhappy about the decision to slaughter. The Assistant Minister of Agriculture, Molebatsi Molebatsi, says the decision to depopulate livestock, including killing, was taken after consultation with disease control experts. Farmer Sileto says the government had to come up with the best possible solution. The information that we have been given by government is that uh, slaughtering is the only uh, best option for now under, under the current circumstances in Zone 6B. So um, definitely farmers are unhappy. Uh, um, we trust that uh, government has taken a decision that is balanced um, after considering other factors. If the government proceeds with the cattle slaughter, farmers will be compensated, but the rates are below market value. And of course, we will advocate, uh, we, we are rather advocating for government to increase the compensation if it is possible. Uh, so rightfully, farmers are unhappy with the compensation, as you say, um, but as to what level will satisfy everybody, it's another matter. So um, we, we definitely are talking to government as the BNBPU to see if there is anything that can be done. Um, to, to increase the compensation. The outbreak of the disease last month saw Botswana suspend beef exports, including to the lucrative European Union market. Botswana is one of Africa's top beef producers, exporting about 10,000 tons to the European Union annually. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Habroni, Botswana. Kenyan athletics supporters say Rana Iliwit Kipchoge's world records, his latest at yesterday's Berlin Marathon, is spurring young athletes to follow his footsteps. VOA correspondent Miriama Diallo reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Cheers erupted from the crowd at Nairobi's Karura Forest as they watch Kenya's Iliwit Kipchoge on TV break his own world record at the Berlin Marathon. The watch party on Sunday followed an amateur marathon organized by Friends of Karura Forest to celebrate their 25th anniversary. Karanja Njorogi is a past chairman of the conservation group who serves on its board. Absolutely magnificent as everybody went wild. Uh, seeing the guy was so way ahead and everybody just uh, felt so elated by, by the efforts of our king of athletics. Eliud Kipchoge. Kipchoge's new record, 30 seconds faster than his previous world record set in Berlin in 2018, is now two hours, one minute, and nine seconds. Yorogi says it's an inspiration. I think it encourages people, uh, gives people hope, uh, and even those who will never compete begin to believe because this guy is 37 years old, yeah, and, and he's breaking world records. Barnabas career is an executive member of Athletics Kenya, the governing body for track and field sports. It's inspired the, the youth, it's inspired not only the youth, but practically all the athletes from Kenya. You know, Kipchoge is one of the few athletes who are completely determined, is also very focused. Career, who is also chairman of youth development at Athletics Kenya, says camps have been set up nationwide to encourage sports. Got the support from the government to do that uh, in the last three years. And we had also Eliud Kipchoge talking to those athletes uh, when they were in the camp. So this is an opportunity for us now to give our athletes an example that they can do well 
uh, if they remain focused, if they work hard. Kipchoge has won 15 out of 17 career marathons, including two Olympic gold medals. Mariama Diallo, VOA News, Nairobi, Kenya. Uganda says 16 people in the country are now infected with Ebola, while another 18 likely have the disease. According to Reuters, the Minister of Health also said four people have died of Ebola, while another other 17 dead were likely infected. Dr. Amash Adalja, an infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins Center for Global Health, who is also an infectious disease physician, says... Uh, he tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that Ebola begins with flu-like symptoms after an incubation period that can last up to 21 days. Starts out with fevers, chills, muscle aches and pains, sore throat. And what happens during that period of time is that the person's body is being infected with the virus and eventually that infection affects the blood vessels and people's blood pressure will plummet. They may have very severe vomiting, diarrhea, uh, they, they may, in certain cases, have massive interference with the ability of their uh, blood to clot. And this can have a fatality rate that uh, ranges in the 60-70% ballpark, depending upon how quickly people are linked to treatment. So it is a very severe illness. Talk about the situation, if you can, about what's happening in Uganda. How does it spread? Ebola is a, a very scary and a very deadly disease, but it's not very contagious. It requires blood and body fluid exposure. So this is going to be close contact amongst family members, uh, amongst people with healthcare workers, for example. If someone goes to a village health center and has, has symptoms of Ebola, those healthcare workers, if they're not wearing personal protective equipment, can get infected. It's, it's really about making sure people have the appropriate personal protective equipment to take care of patients. And that usually is what's able to stop uh, Ebola outbreaks once they understand how people are getting infected and, and put public health measures into place. And recall that Uganda is a place that's no stranger to Ebola outbreaks. They've had them in the past, so they know how to do this. It's a question of getting all of those resources mobilized in a time when a lot of public health resources have been diverted towards COVID-19. So what should Ugandan authorities and those in neighboring countries, for that matter, be doing to prevent this Ebola strain from spreading? The first thing they need to do is increase awareness. People have to be cognizant of the fact that this virus is spreading in Uganda uh, and, and countries that border Uganda should be on the lookout for cases that may or may not be consistent with Ebola. They also have to demystify this disease to the general public, to stop myths about the virus from spreading, to tell people how you get it, what, what protective actions you need to take. They also have to make sure that local health workers have the resources to be able to find cases, to be able to diagnose cases, and to be able to take care of those cases in places where there's less risk of contagion. Traditionally, we've seen healthcare workers get infected with Ebola because they don't have adequate supplies to take care of those patients. That will all be something that's, uh, that's needed. What we don't want to see is draconian measures. We don't want to see travel bans. We don't want to see border closures. We don't want people to uh, get in a situation where they're trying to hide Ebola cases like we saw in West Africa. Fortunately, um, Uganda is a place that's had Ebola, so they don't have that same issue. But we have seen uh, a lot of those authoritarian measures and, and violence occur in West Africa uh, back in 2013, 2014, as well as in, in the DRC uh, with some outbreaks that have occurred in, in recent years. 
That's Dr. Amash Adalja, an infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins Center for Global Health and an infectious disease physician with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme from New York today. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. On behalf of engineer Joe Gill and producer Mukbil Yabaro, thank you for tuning in and for choosing the Voice of America. Thank you.